I want to just continue from a, a message I preached a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was in prayer. I had a great message on James and all this. And I began to ask God, you know, what do you... Because sometimes you have to, as a preacher, say, God, what do you want to say? You know, like, you know, you get a say in this, God, if you want, if you want it. And he began, Joe, Joe, when's the last time you preached on the blood of Jesus? And I'm like, well, I don't know. So I, I'm like, man, I'm so fired up. I'm just starting to see... Uh, everything about the blood of Jesus. And I want to just preach about the blood of Jesus again today. But specifically, I want to talk about the blood that speaks a better word. Come on, how many of you know that the blood of Jesus is powerful? There is power in the blood of Jesus. There is power in the blood of Jesus. And and we need to get this idea that the the, the blood of Jesus covers uh, our sins. The blood of Jesus is what washes us white as snow. We want to see the Shekinah glory come down in our churches. Let me tell you, when the, the first time that the word Shekinah is mentioned in the Bible is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's whenever the whenever Solomon built the temple, right? And he they begin to butcher goats and they begin to butcher oxen and they begin to I mean there was blood everywhere. But the Shekinah glory didn't come. It was when they the priests sanctified themselves. They made themselves holy. They set themselves apart. And they took that blood of the sacrifice. And they went and applied it. It says they sprinkled it upon the, the mercy seat there in the most holy place. That the Shekinah glory of God manifested itself in heaven once again. And in fact, it was such a powerful experience that they thought everybody was dead. Because they were just slain in the spirit. They were just, I mean, they were just, they couldn't stand. When the power of God, when the presence of God begins to manifest itself on the earth, come on, our ideas have to die. Our our, our affections have to die. Come on, our our pain has to die. Our suffering has to die. Because the Shekinah glory of God can't dwell where sin begins to dwell. But I believe that today, as we just take it, we begin to talk about this blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Come on, this blood that speaks a better word than the blood of bulls and the blood of goats. This blood that speaks a better word than the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Come on, this is the blood that was shed for the salvation of our souls. It still speaks today. This blood still speaks today. I believe that there are some of us here today that, I, I, I mean, I'm believing this and even speaking it prophetically, that you came here with pain. You came here with suffering. You came here with sickness. You came here with disease. I'm, pro, I'm pro, prophesying today that you don't have to leave with that pain. You don't have to leave with that suffering. You don't have to leave with that bitterness in your heart. You don't have to leave with unforgiveness. You don't have to leave with with worry and anxiety and depression. How many of you realize that that most sickness and disease is derivative from anxiety, stress, depression? You can't think that your mind is disconnected from the rest of your body. Most of our sicknesses would go away if we would just apply the blood of Jesus to our our hearts. I know this may not make a lot of sense right now, but it will in just a moment. I believe that we need to apply the blood of Jesus in our relationships so we can find freedom 
from sin, sickness, disease, depression, anxiety, worry. It's the blood of Jesus that makes the difference. I was reminded of this this week. As the world was watching a trial, and they were, they were patiently awaiting a verdict to come forth. Of the, as, as this man, Derek Chauvin, was on trial. How many of you realize it wasn't just Derek Chauvin that was on trial, but it was our entire justice system that was on, on trial. Everybody was there waiting. They didn't really care what happened to Derek. They were more concerned what was going on in our justice system. And as the verdict came forth, I was reminded today that there really is no verdict of guilt. There is no verdict of not guilt. There is no verdict on this earth that will truly bring about justice within the hearts of men, that will truly bring about a sense of justice, a sense of completeness, a sense of, of like it is finished, a sense of like it is forgiven. You see, there is no verdict that can bring back George Floyd. There is no verdict that can that can heal the heart of his family. There is no verdict that can heal the heart of a nation. There is no verdict here on this side of eternity that will bring justice into the land. Because justice of this earth continues to cry out for more. It continues to cry out for more. In fact, I'll even quote our president, Joe Biden here. After this verdict was, was issued, he said, no one should be above the law. And today's verdict sends that message. I'll, I'll not comment, but I'll make a comment by saying I'm not going to comment. You know, it's passive comment. Anyway. He says, but it's not enough. It can't stop here. You see, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15, it, it reads that the leech hath two daughters. and some translations, it'll say, hath two mouths. And they cry, give, give, or more, more. It says, there are three things that are never satisfied. Yeah, four things say not, it is enough. You see, our sense for justice, our sense for vengeance, is in, it gives us an insatiable appetite. And it cannot be quenched here on this earth. Our search for justice can never be quenched simply by applying the law. You see, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Come on, how many of you know there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ, even to forgive the unforgivable? You see, the law can only take us just so far. The law can only take us so far. But the blood of Jesus brings remission of sin. The, the blood of Jesus brings true justice. The blood of Jesus brings true, true forgiveness. Well, if you want freedom today, you'll never find it on your own. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can find freedom. You see, the law can only take us so far. Even Moses had this realization. Moses, of course, he, he, he wrote the first five books of the Bible and he took people to the mountain and God began to give them the law. If you live by these standards, then, then, then you'll have justice, you'll have peace. But the law can only take us so far. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. I just want to read verse 24. It says, we don't turn to the law anymore, but we turn to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. 
and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks a better word, that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Come on, it is the blood of Jesus that we turn to now for restitution. It's the blood of Jesus that we turn to now for reparation. It's the blood of Jesus that we turn to now for justice, for peace, for forgiveness. Man, I'm, I'm going to tell you, now y'all are being kind of quiet. Makes me nervous. I want to look in the book of Genesis chapter 4 and begin to just kind of preach from there. We're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 and verse 16 if you want to turn there with me in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, they have some Bibles in the chair backs in front of you. Uh, We'll also have the verses of Scripture up on the screen. You can follow along. I believe that this story gives so much light to the issues of today. If only we would grab hold. It's the blood of Jesus from the very beginning. It's always been the blood. It's always been the blood. Genesis 4 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, Cain, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked to Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I want to skip down to verse 16. It says, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray that even now, Lord, you begin to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls. Lord, that you begin to just allow this word to pierce through the bone into the marrow. Lord, into the very center of our being. Lord, that that marrow, wow. You know what the marrow's job is? To make blood. Wow, that's, that's powerful. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that, that, that chapter, Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 is probably, for me, the saddest. It's the saddest chap, verse of Scripture in the Bible. It's this moment where it says, when Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. I mean, this is a story about Cain's leaving the presence of God. It's like that, that leaving the presence of God is actually the ultimate penalty for sin, right? I mean, I want you to get this understanding that God didn't leave the presence of Cain. Cain left the presence 
of God. I mean, even after Adam and Eve sinned, he, God kicked them out of the garden. He put the, he put the, 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 uh, the cherubim with the sword to guard the tree of, of life. But God never left their presence. God was with them. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. He's not just in the garden and not anywhere else. So even Adam and Eve were still in the presence of God. Cain was in the presence of God. God was talking to Cain. And this something happened within Cain's life that was so bad, was so gruesome, so unnerving that Cain left the presence of God. And I feel like, like this is because of the blood. I want to get to that. But I want you to know that I feel like even in our churches today, as we neglect the teaching of the blood, as we neglect the teaching of the cross, as we neglect the the prayers to the blood, we neglect pleading the blood that the church is leaving the presence of God. God is not leaving the church. Leaving the presence of of God is is represented by by leaving the peace, the joy, the purpose. This is the blight of humanity that we have. We've left the presence of God and searched for something else the same way that Cain did. It says Cain went to the land of Nod, east of Eden. The church is leaving the presence of God and search for fame, and search for popularity, and search for riches, instead of in search for the kind of glory of God that the church would purify itself once again and apply the blood of Jesus to its life. That God can come and dwell. It's the blood. I want to look at this story, as many of you are familiar with it. And and I want to answer a couple of questions. The first one is, I want to understand why Cain and Abel bought sacrifices or bought offerings in the first place. Have you ever thought about that? Like Cain and Abel, they they go and and they offer offerings to God. I mean, why? It, It wasn't like there was a book. The Bible hadn't even been written yet. Moses wasn't even born. This wasn't like something that they were told to do. It wasn't a tradition. This came out of a felt need that they had. Why did Cain and Abel bring offerings? The second question I want to answer is, why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's offering not accepted? And you've probably heard a hundred million reasons why that may be. And there's not, the Bible isn't totally perfectly clear on it. But I believe when we begin to, to exegete, when we begin to dig in to, to the word of God, we can find out that of exactly why Cain's was rejected and Abel's was accepted. It's, and it's important for us to know that today because the implications of that are far reaching even into our lives. What happened to Cain's attitude that led to sin? How many of you realize that even whenever Cain brought his offering, it's not like he was in sin. God still said, Cain, what's wrong, bro? Like, why are you so angry, man? It's just an offering. What's up? Why is your countenance fallen? You know, why, how did that, that led to Cain's sin? Man, I love that. Even even in the midst of Cain's failures, even in the midst of Cain's murderous appetite, God was still with him. I mean, don't you realize that Cain was there after he murdered Abel, even the blood of Abel crying out to God from the ground, and God was still like, Cain, where's your brother? No matter what our sin, no matter what we've done, when we come to the Lord in repentance, when we come to the Lord in in openness of heart, God is still there. 
He never left you. It says in the word, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. We leave and forsake him. And what impact does this story have on humanity? I want to begin in verse 1 and just kind of open beginning with an understanding and quoting Eve who says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. You know, and just kind of back up just to, to, the, to the first couple of chapters in, in, in Genesis where Adam and Eve have sinned and God gave Eve a promise. She said, from you there will be a seed. You know, a seed of a woman is a son. A seed of a woman is a daughter. There, from you, there will be someone. It says that, 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 he will, that the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will bruise the head of the serpent. You see, I believe that Adam and Eve had an understanding and anticipation that, he, that, that there was a Messiah coming to restore their access to the tree of life, to restore their fellowship with God, to restore their communion with God. Eve was anticipating this to the point where she, when Cain was born, she's like, I have received a man from the Lord. This man will be the Messiah. This man will be the one to restore relationship. There was anticipation that led to disappointment. Adam and Eve wanted to get back to the garden. Cain and Abel wanted to get back to the garden. I believe that this leads to, to the reason why the brothers bought an offering in the first place. You see, there was no law. There was no religion. There wasn't anybody telling them anything. I believe that the sense of guilt, the sense of dread, the sense of shame was so strong within them because they felt distance between them and God. They're like, God, we can't partake of the fullness of what you created for us. There's separation between us. You've created a garden. You've created wonder. You've created great places. And here we can't access it. So Lord, we're going to begin to bring offerings. We're going to try to close the gap between us and you. So they're like, how are they going to bring that offering? I mean, this is our, this is, we all feel this need. This is implanted to us. It's been in there from the very beginning, a need to try to make restitution with God. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that draws all men to salvation. I didn't draw you here. The Holy Spirit drew you here. Because you need to hear about the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for your sin, that washes you white as snow, that no longer do you have to walk in separation from God. You see, so Cain brings the fruit of the field and Abel brings the fat of the flock. It says there in the word that the Lord respected Abel's offering. The Lord did not respect Cain's offering. Again, the Bible's not abundantly clear as to why God did this. But the result strikes at the very core of who we are. I want to just begin to maybe shed a little light on why God may not have accepted Cain's offering and why God would have accepted Abel's offering. How many of you know that we are, we are all emulating someone else? Come on, we all have this innate uh, ability within us to be like other people. You know, God didn't tell Cain and Abel to bring an offering. They did that on their own. So what offering were they going to bring? It says that, that Abel bought or Cain brought of the, the, the fruit of the field. I would venture to say, if, if you have any 
uh, understanding of the Bible that you know that when Adam and Eve fell, it says that they saw their nakedness and they were ashamed. So Adam, because Adam's the man, he goes and he takes a fig leaf and he covers himself. You see, that he, he covered himself. You see, our efforts, the things that we do, can only serve to cover up our sin. Our efforts are just a cover-up. They're not a covering. See, Adam, he did these things, and I believe that, that Cain, it, 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 as he began to say, okay, Lord, I know there's something we have to do. What are we going to do? And he's emulating somebody. So he says, okay, what did Adam do? Let me go look and see what Adam did. What did dad do? How did dad deal with this? Oh, dad went and made a fig leaf, and he covered himself with it. His efforts. Man, this is just like what religion is. We don't even understand why we do the things we do. We just do them because that's what our dad did. We come and we worship because we see other people doing it. We come and we pray because we see other people doing it. We come and partake of communion because we see other people doing it. But we really don't know why, what it means, what purpose does it have. And we can end up even not even pleasing God with it. In fact, it says that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And, and the heart of Cain in that moment was to emulate his father, Adam. And he began to do things like Adam did. And he created like a fig leaf religion. He says, I'm just going to begin to bring uh, just these traditions, these apostolic traditions, and just do what my fathers did. But how many of you realize he probably never even looked long enough to see that that didn't really help a whole lot? Sometimes we just emulate other people but we don't even look to see if it was effective. I mean, we just do things that we see other people do because maybe we respect the people, but they may just be lost as you are. In fact, that's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. They looked religious. They looked like they had it all together. They had their, their ephod and their little 12 stones and they had, you know, their, their hats and y'all seen chosen. You know, they look like a, you know, I want to follow that guy. Jesus said, you're just the blind leading the blind. You both fall in the ditch. So, so Cain is emulating Adam. But you see, Abel has the same sense. He has the same thing. He's like, I'm not going to look at the standards of my earthly father. I want to begin to look at the standards of my heavenly father. I know that my dad covered himself with fig leaves. I know that my dad was religious. I know that my dad failed, but God still is still talking to him. But Abel said, I don't want to be like, like my dad. I want to be like my father. You see, it says in, in the book of Genesis. Chapter 2. Verse 21. It says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. See, God covered them with the skin of an animal. I, I, I've been hunting enough to know you can't take the skin off of an animal without the shedding of blood. You see, God's plan wasn't just to cover up skin, cover, cover things up. God was showing them. He says the only way to remit sin, the only way to close the gap is through the blood. See, God was teaching a principle. He said, see, I have this image in my mind that whenever God went and slaughtered that animal and he took that skin off of that animal. He probably didn't clean it and tan it and make a nice fur coat. He probably just did it with the blood still on it. 
And, and, and God takes this bloody skin and he lays it on Adam. And this is the covering. And you just have this future image of, the, of, of Jesus Christ on the cross, completely covered in blood. Man, that is powerful. That's powerful. And you see, for a moment, Adam is forgiven. Adam is restored. And, and, and Abel's like, I don't want to be like... Like Adam, I, I want to do how God does the offering. I want to begin to worship like God teaches me to worship. I want to begin to worship like, like God teaches, I pray like God teaches me to pray. Not just like the other people around me. Uh, friends, I mean, we, we always bring in offerings to the Lord. You know, we bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Let me tell you, if your praise isn't covered in the blood, it's useless. We bring an offering of money into the house of the Lord. Friends, if your money ain't covered in the blood, it's useless. Don't bring an offering to build houses. Build, bring an offering to build the kingdom. Pray when you grab that offering, say, I cover this in the blood of Jesus Christ. God is only interested in blood money. Abel says, he says he took the fruit. He says he took the, the, the flock of the field and the fat thereof. And I believe that he included that little term and the fat. Because let me tell you, I've also learned that you can't take the fat off without the shedding of blood. Because if you could, I'd be a little skinnier. That's all I'm saying. And Abel, he saw his, he saw his heavenly father begin to, begin to remove the skin. He says, I'm going to emulate what God did. I'm going to cover this stuff in, and I'm going to cover my sin, my shame, my pain in the blood of an animal because I know it's only through the blood that is for remission of sin. So Abel brings an offering that's acceptable to God because it's an offering of blood. So Cain gets jealous. You see, instead of, instead of saying and repenting and saying, okay, God, I see my religion is useless. My fig leaf religion is useless. My efforts are useless. I need to do this the right way. He begins to get angry and his countenance falls. You see, Cain's offering didn't lead Cain to sin. His actions did. Friends, many times we see injustice. We sing wrongdoing. Even we feel slighted by God. And that bitterness that unforgiveness, that hatred, that pain, that injustice leads to sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Cain was still in his sin because of his disobedience. You see, in that moment, Cain was still under, the, under the, the sin of Adam because he hasn't made a blood sacrifice. He was still in the sin of Adam because he, did, he didn't follow the instructions. He didn't follow the example. That sin can begin to have an impact on you. It had an impact on Cain and he became angry and his countenance began to fall. So God goes and he tells him, why are you so angry, Cain? Just do the right thing and it'll be well with you. But I warn you, if you don't, sin is at the door and its desire is for you. Friends, if that doesn't scare the, scare the hell out of you. 
Sin is, is at the door of your life. Because we don't plead the blood of Jesus. Because we don't apply the blood of Jesus. Did I tell the soap factory story, the Reinhardt Bunky story last week? Anybody remember? Or week before last? I'll tell it anyway. Reinhardt Bunky, he was invited to go and, and uh, go on an interview, and he was interviewed some religious leaders. He said there was, a, there was a man. Did I tell this story? No, I didn't. Pastor Marshall would remember. He said that there was a religious man, an atheist there, because atheism is a religion. And, and he said they were, they were in this conversation, and, and the atheist looked at Reinhardt Bunky. He said, he said, Pastor Bunky, he said, you preach on the blood. He said, yeah, that's right. The blood's power in the blood. He says, I don't believe there's power in the blood. So Reinhardt Bunky says, well, why not? He said, because Jesus died 2,000 years ago. And, and uh, you know, the world is probably worse off than it was then. He said, well, that doesn't mean the blood's not powerful. He said, well, how can you prove that? So Reinhardt Bunky asked the man, he said, do you believe in soap? He said, well, of course I believe in soap. He said, but yet there's soap and it's real, but, yet, but then you go around the world and there's people who stink and they're dirty and they're filthy. He said, yeah. He said, in fact, you can even go to some soap factories and people can be in the soap factory and they're still, they're still dirty and they still stink. He says, that's right. He said, why do you think that is? The atheist said, I don't know. He said, because soap doesn't work unless it's applied to you. He said, you see, the blood of Jesus has no effect just because it happened 2,000 years ago. It's no less powerful. The only reason that the, the blood works is because it has to be applied to the life of the believer. You see, the church is in the condition that it's in because we're not applying the blood of Jesus to our life. Reinhard Bucky says, when he was leaving... He said that atheist came to him after. He said, Brother Bunky, how do I give my heart to Jesus? There's power in the blood. God goes and finds Abel, or finds Cain. He asks, God says, where is your brother Abel? Where is the one that you were supposed to be looking after? I mean, Cain was the older brother. Where is the one that you were supposed to be watching after? Where is the one that you were supposed to be loving on and teaching? He says, where is your brother? Where is the one you have fellowship with? Where is he, Cain? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see, in that very moment, Cain, I mean, we can even see the teachings of Christ. Jesus taught us one of the greatest commandments or two. He says, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one is just as powerful. It's just as strong. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And here we have Cain bringing false sacrifice to the Lord and murdering his brother. And it says that the blood of Cain began, uh, the blood of Abel began to cry out to God from the ground. I can almost hear, imagine in that moment, as, as Cain can probably hear those cries of what he's just done. Cries of guilty, cries of murderer, cries of betrayer, cries for justice. Those words were just as loud in the ears of Cain as they were in the ears of God. But yet God spared Cain's life 
for a promise. And even Cain being spared, it says that that punishment was too harsh for him to bear. Because you see, even had Cain came, lost his life, it still would not have brought justice for the death of his brother. Because God was waiting for a better day. A day when he would send a sacrifice. I'm going to have the worship team come forward. A day when he would bring the blood. A day when we would have an understanding that God would send Jesus as our mediator of a new covenant, a covenant in his blood that speaks louder, speaks better things than that of Abel. From that day that Abel was, was murdered, I believe his blood began to cry out for the, from the ground. And it even cries in the hearts of men. It cries out those words, you're guilty. You're hopeless. You're a failure. And we're just reminded by those words that our efforts could never be enough. Our efforts could never be enough. You can, you can do a serve day every day of the week. At this, we can have a serve day every day of the week. And it doesn't get us not even like that much closer to God. You can go empty your bank accounts today and just come put them in the offering buckets. It doesn't get you that much closer to God. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be restored in relationship to God. It's the blood of Jesus. And it says in the book of Hebrews that that blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, because I believe that on that day 2,000 years ago, that Jesus came and laid his life down for the sins of the world. Because there is no remission without the shedding of blood. And Jesus knew that in that moment that, that he was fixing to shed a lot of blood. In fact, I believe that Jesus was actually the personification of what we would consider blood. All of his major, major arteries pierced through. That, that, that the stripes on his back begin to bleed and begin to pour out all over him. In fact, they put a crown of thorns upon his head and driven. I mean, if you've ever had a head injury, it bleeds like crazy. And, and, and Jesus, the sacrifice, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world was nailed to a cross, covered in his own blood. And the words he spoke are better than the words of Abel. You see, Jesus, looking out upon humanity, says, Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Jesus cries out from the cross, covered in blood, and says, It is finished. My blood finishes it. And even today, we live in that reality with an understanding that Jesus is, we know that he was crucified, but on the third day rose again to new life and even sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me, interceding for each and every one of you. You see, even it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's this understanding that even in our sin, even in our guilt, even in our unforgiveness, that Jesus is sitting there next to God. And they're looking, they're seeing it. 
And God says, oh, man, justice, Jesus says, it's covered in my blood. Oh, guilty, oh, man, it's covered in my blood. Oh, shame, no, it's covered in my blood, Father. See, even Jesus said, the things that I do, I don't do on my own accord. I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. That's what Abel did. And that's what we should do. There's many of us here who may have bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness in our hearts. In first service, a brother came to me and said, I'm not going to let unforgiveness keep me out of heaven. You see, unforgiveness and bitterness begin to get down into the heart of Cain. And it led to anger. It led to his countenance falling. I mean, it's like Cain was a promised one. And that led to sin. Friends, today, we don't have to walk around with bitterness. We don't have to walk around with unforgiveness. We don't have to walk around with suffering. We don't have to walk around with guilt. Because we have a mediator who speaks a better word than that of Abel. The blood of Jesus. For those who have wronged you, I mean, I'll raise my hand. I'm not even going to ask you. I'm raising my hand for you. I've been wronged. And people ask me, how do you forgive people who've done wrong? I'm reminded of a, of a, a few years back, there was a man who was in Amish country up in Ohio, Pennsylvania, actually. And someone walked into a schoolhouse and killed all his kids and killed his wife. And this man was devastated, obviously. And he, was, he went on the news and they were trying to bait him with hate and bitterness. And he said, what, what do you want for justice? He says, listen, I'll let the law have its way. But as for me, this man is covered in the blood of Jesus. He's forgiven. I'm not going to let that forgiveness begin to affect my walk with God. Friends, many of us allow that to be, begin to affect our walk with God. Today, we can find freedom. Many of us have sickness and disease in our body because we allow bitterness and unforgiveness to settle into our minds and into our hearts. I mean, that begins to release like hormones and stuff that affect our body. I mean, I'm, no, I'm not a psychologist, but, you know, just a pastor. And if the blood of Jesus was good enough for those Roman centurions and for those Pharisees and Sadducees, if the blood of Jesus was good enough for drug dealers and, and, and murderers and rapists, let me tell you, the blood of Jesus is good enough for you and anybody who's done wrong to you. Could you stand with me this morning? I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time and, and I just want to give you an opportunity this morning to plead the blood of Jesus not only, maybe you have guilt in your heart over something that you've done in your past. Or maybe you have unforgiveness towards a family member, towards a friend, to a car, towards a co-worker, towards somebody in your life. Let me tell you, there, there's no amount of apology that's going to fix that. There's no amount of pain that you can see them in that's going to fix that. There's not, no amount of lashes that you can beat on your back that's going to fix that. The only thing that's going to fix that is the blood of Jesus. Sometimes we just need to say those words. In that pain, in that suffering, I plead the blood of Jesus. 
This is what I want to do. I don't want to spend any more time talking about it. That's just, I'm going to pray with you. I want to come into agreement with you. It says in the Bible where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. It says that whatever you bind on earth, when you're in perfect unity, whatever is bound on, on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right now, we're going to loose some things through the blood of Jesus. If you have bitterness, anxiety, depression, unforgiveness in your heart, I want you to step out of your chair and I want you to just come to the front altar and we're going to begin to pray for you. I just want to take a moment and pray for you. Take that step. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're there in your seats, I don't want to just have a, a spectator moment. We're going to be participators. Would you just extend your hands towards all of these who are... And I just want you to begin to plead the blood of Jesus. Just say, I plead the blood of Jesus over their situation. I plead the blood of Jesus. Just begin to plead the blood of Jesus. Begin to plead the blood of Jesus. That's what it is. So if you're in the altar, just begin. Just lift your hands in the air. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord. Lord, and we plead that precious blood of Jesus Christ over every circumstance, over every situation. Lord God, as these individuals stepped out by faith, Lord, it says by faith, Abel gave a better sacrifice. Lord, they are stepping out by faith, not to bring a sacrifice of praise, but Lord, to apply the sacrifice that was made on Calvary, that we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over that circumstance. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over unforgiveness. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over bitterness. Lord, we release every demonic assignment that was put upon these people. Lord God, we release every every root of bitterness that has sowed itself deep down into their very soul. Lord God, that they can begin to find healing. They can begin to find restitution. Lord, we release every debt that we have against us. Lord, we release every sin that was made against us. Lord, even you taught us to pray. Lord, that we forgive those who trespassed against us as you forgave us, Lord. Lord, that that blood that covered our sin, Lord, we forgive every grievance. If you're in the altar, I just want you to say this word. Say, Jesus, I plead the blood over my life. I forgive and just say that name. Say, I forgive so-and-so. I release them from their debts. I forgive them. I cover that in the blood of Jesus. That your sacrifice was enough for me. Your sacrifice is enough for them. Lord, set me free from that burden. And give me peace. Give me presence. And give me hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.